Welcome back to Professor Lab's podcast. Welcome back, Ayan Zubair, who is a former student of mine, former Stony Brook University undergraduate student president and uh, alumni now. And yeah, you are our first returning guest and for good reason, because your podcast episode is probably the most popular one, certainly among, I think by download, but certainly by my students. And I do actually include it in pretty much all my classes, which I think speaks a lot to a lot of the conversations that we we had there talking about the value of, of writing and, and thinking and analysis and all that sort of stuff because they have a lot to say about it. So maybe that's something we can talk about moving forward. For but sure. Yeah, I just wanted to uh, thank you again for being here. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's cool to hear that, uh, you know, our kind of um, off-the-cuff conversations have, have, have reached people, have reached students, um, and have kind of implored in them the how important writing is, you know what I mean? And, and no matter what you do in life, um, writing and critical thinking is, is integral to all of it. So, you know, I'm doing well and excited to be here. Yeah, I uh, in thinking about kind of coming back to doing episodes because I've just been so busy. I haven't recorded a podcast episode, like I said, in a couple months. And I was thinking, well, I could blabber on like I normally do about some mundane writing or rhetoric topic. But I'm like, I'd much rather talk to Ayan because <laughs> the the sort of diversity of conversation and, and the specific kind of meaningful or relevant uh, commentary that I think... There, there is to share is sort of what students really connect with. And that's certainly coming back to that episode that we did almost about a year ago now. I think students across sort of disciplines really connected with and they, they really find value in. And it's an episode that I continue to offer them as part of really any course I do, whether it's a writing 102 course or a more sort of upper division advanced technical writing course. But um. Yeah, I, I think again, like you said, just not the, not only the skills of writing, but the skills of, of rhetoric and even thinking and and perspective and analysis. You know, those are such sort of qualitative intangibles that are really difficult. They may be the hardest part to teach about writing, not just in terms of relating those lessons, but in terms of contextualizing the meaning as to why they're so important and why they're so real world relevant. So I always say, yeah, look at Ion. He's like the <laughs> perfect example of somebody who I, I think has continued in in really meaningful, productive, valuable ways to use a lot of the foundational lessons in our course and and again, continue to develop, uh, not just academically, but but professionally. And I always say, uh, e even, you know, for my part, personally, a lot of these lessons that I try to cover in class, it's, it, it extends far beyond the classroom, right? Right, right, right. Yeah, I, I think, yeah. you know, when you, um, you're kind of the farther I've gotten from, you know, like freshman year writing seminar, which I took with you, right? The more I realize, like, um, writing is is less about like an academic exercise as it is about like self-expression right and, and you know no mm -hmm. matter i don't know when one time you you talked about in class about you know writing a letter to um like the the parking authority after getting a parking ticket right and we discussed like the ethos pathos logos yeah. approaches right um and i think that's when you know one time where it really hit me where i was like damn like um, this isn't just about writing about Socrates and Plato and things that are kind of high in the sky ideas. Like it's everyday things, you know, writing to your neighbor, 
talking, uh, asking him to keep the dog off the lawn. You know what I mean? It's, it's writing to the parking authority to get a parking ticket waived, you know, um, you know, those skills, um, go far, far beyond the classroom and honestly far beyond the professional scope as well into your personal life. Yeah. And that's something that came up a lot last time where I think we sort of talked about how the relevancy, right. Yeah. Is, is is really something that's hard to teach and i i totally agree this idea that so much or so often we get caught up in kind of the academic sandbox and oftentimes students are wondering when am i really going to have to do this like when are you really going to have to go out into your everyday life and write a rhetorical analysis essay right, right? right it just right. doesn't happen you don't spend your saturday afternoon <laughs> trying right. to uh, analyze a, a new york times article maybe um Maybe if you're arguing about it on Facebook or something like that, I right. suppose. But um, I don't think many people do that because based on the arguments I see on Facebook, nobody really cares much for any sort of rhetoric right. or <laughs> like, um, or it, I think more importantly, there's there's a lack of uh, what I try to teach in class in general, which is sort of perspectives versus goals. And so mm-hmm. I, I think that's something really interesting now that I think about it in terms of what I try to focus on in classes versus what I see, um, particularly on social media, where there's a lot of uh, sometimes reaction and, um, you know, sometimes that's good, but obviously sometimes that's that's not so good at different levels, where it, because the audience is, is maybe so broad or not defined at mm. all, and if you have no idea, there is no audience that you're targeting towards, like, how can you... Um, assume what your audience knows or doesn't know, right? Like, how can you have a sometimes a specific goal in mind, other than you know, maybe just trying to elicit a certain type of reaction? Right. Which, as we all know, looking at a lot of social media, is sometimes in some ways even counterproductive, right? Which is right. Is, is maybe a big problem, and that's what actually the parking ticket exercise a- appeal exercise I think is a really good example because it's. I show the good example and the bad example, right? Where right. the good, the bad example is, well, the person in parking services is going to laugh at your appeal because you're being angry and demanding and demeaning, right? You're not really considering who that audience is, and you know, asking is your goal to to outrage them, uh, which can have a tangible goal and a tangible purpose okay. certainly in certain circumstances, or is it to actually accomplish the appeal? And then, well, how do you maybe sort of then balance your, your rhetoric from there. Right. Yeah. No, I, I actually, to that point, right. I was getting frustrated a little bit with, you know, social media, right. And, and realizing like, um, you know, and you've probably seen on occasion, I'll, I'll write like, a, I don't really use Facebook that much, but on occasion I'll write kind of a Facebook post about a certain issue or topic or whatever case may be. Right. Um, and you know, it wasn't really, I think, creating a meaningful dialogue for, I think, a number of reasons you listed, right? I think that people who, you know, are my Facebook friends or following my Twitter have come from a different background, different walks of life, just different understandings of the world, right? And if I write a huge Facebook post about some legal issue, you know, from the framework of, okay, everyone's a lawyer, they're not, you know, that's just not going to work, right? And so what I did was, um, and I believe you're on, you're on the list as well, um, the, the newsletter I started. Um, and so I realized oh, yeah. I'm like, all right, what if I create an opt in like email essentially, right? Where I can write these same issues. It's for people who, who want to hear what I'm saying, who are interested in hearing what I'm saying. And even though they may not understand every single thing, um, 
it'll be a productive dialogue, right? Because this person knows me, I know them. And our goal is less to, you know, you know, uh, rage at the, at the person if they disagree with me and more so to kind of, you know, see where I'm coming from um, and, and, and give me the opportunity to make my case and, and I'll do the same for them. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I love that you bring up that it's essentially a newsletter, right? Yeah, it's like, a, like that's what you would call it. Yeah, it's probably like a like a like a hybrid newsletter blog type thing. I, I don't know. I don't know exactly what you can call it, but something like that. <laughs> that's a lot of things on the internet now. Yeah. Uh, I'm not quite sure what it is, but yeah. the, the, you know, I I still do it. Um, yeah, I actually really really enjoy that for all the reasons that you've said and that's usually a good sign when you're writing something if if your audience whoever that may be um they sort of intuit that value from it and that's exactly my sort of interpretation of the the point and purpose of it uh i think it works fantastic again for all those reasons you say and uh, yeah i think it's it's something interesting it's something a little different it almost feels like a more evolved version of kind of a, a Facebook yeah. conversation or post right. or something like that. Um, and, and, and again, I keep saying it, but I, I do think it's for the, exactly the, the reasons that you, um, that you sort of point out. And yeah, I mean, I mean, social media, it, it, it's so fascinating to me and there's so much to like, there's so much to talk about with social media and, and rhetoric today mm-hmm. for good and bad reasons. Right. It, like it's, it's almost difficult to really pin down like, what's good about social media versus what's not good because there's so many like everybody has a voice and Mm. everybody having a voice means you're going to get you're going to get the good bad and the ugly and then well where do you go from there in terms of trying to foster or craft meaningful conversations and i feel the same way where uh, when i post social media stuff i politically i really don't post a whole lot because um it's and i've talked to people who get like political fatigue almost mm-hmm. i guess i would call it where they get so almost beaten down by the the sort of negativity and it, i think a lot of it sometimes stems from ill intentions on on the part of people who might be commenting or interacting but it, it's also just uh having so many uh criticisms and, and critiques and arguments coming at you from all different directions like i just watch some of these conversations on facebook and and sometimes they're there i've seen some great conversations but other times i sort of look at it and i think how do you have time to mm. read or <laughs> you know do everything else if you're if you're taking all of this on and i i think it's in, important to to you know if you're gonna uh focus especially on really important meaningful issues or advocacy work anything along those lines to, um, I guess, have a very clear point and purpose, but have a very sort of clear-minded perspective in some ways that you don't sort of let the negative, the, like the negative voices really weigh you down. Because I, I really, especially over the past year, there's been, you know, so much different um, work along those lines going on. And I've seen a lot of people who have struggled, I think, with just kind of maintaining their, uh, their, um, I guess positivity themselves, just in terms of like mm-hmm. their mo- motivation to to do this sort of work. So, um, yeah, it's not easy, and I, I agree for those reasons why um, you know maybe there's 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 better ways to kind of approach all of this, right? I mean, you know, I think though, right? We go to the doctors, right? Let's say you have some medical issue, and the doctor prescribes mm-hmm. you medication, right? You've ever, you ever watched those commercials for medications, right? So it's like you know whatever medication you know you know helps your cholesterol, or whatever, right? But then they'll say, like, you know, this medication might cause X, Y, and Z side effect, right? 
And it's a trade-off, right? You're saying, all right, listen, like if my cholesterol keeps rising, 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 you know, this might kill me. So I'll take the, I don't know, making this up. I'll take the migraines in exchange for, for, for this, right? Or I'll take the cramps or whatever case may be, right? I think social media, um, and the internet in general, right? It is one of these things, right? Where it's, you know, and, and this is where I think law is very fascinating, right? Because, um, you know, issues that reach the Supreme Court, for example, right, are very rarely black and white. You know what I mean? Um, because if they were, they would have been decided by lower courts, you know, a long time ago. It's a long time ago. And so what courts do, especially high, like appeals courts and Supreme Court and these kind of things, is that they kind of weigh the equities, right? And they weigh the balance. It's a, it's a balancing test more often than not, right? And so with social media, it's like, I mean, think about it this way, right? A person in their bedroom can reach millions of people in a way that has never been possible in human history. You know what I mean? Um, you know, we've seen countless examples of this, right? Where, you know, a video or a picture or uh, a tweet has literally been heard around the world. You know, uh, up until, you know, very, very recently, you had to be a king or a prince or a president to have that kind of sway over the, over the public. You know what I mean? And even then, most people didn't know about you. Um, so, so, you know, yeah, I, I do think, right, everyone having a voice, right, leads to sometimes to kind of uh, um, some, a lot of negative consequences, right? But at the same time, like, isn't that the most, like, democratic way of doing, you know what I mean? Doing things, like, when you have institutions like the New York Times or the Washington Post, where 30 years ago, you and I would have to write an op-ed to them and have them publish it, right? to have a voice and they wouldn't publish probably either of our opinion, opinions, right? Cause what credentials do we have? You know, you know, we're not, you know, a law professor at Harvard or a congressional representative or so on and so forth. Now I can reach hundreds, thousands and potentially even tens of thousands of people through an, through an email. You know what I mean? Um, if people like what I'm saying. So yeah, I, I think the, the trade-offs are there. Um, and I think we have to do a better job of balancing them, you know, and weighing the equities. Uh, but at the same time, like, I think, I think, you know, it's far too often. I think people focus so much on the negatives of social media and the negatives of, of the internet without realizing like we have that my phone, right. Is a supercomputer, right? Like, and it, it, it in turn creates me into like a cyborg, right? Like I have access to anything that's ever been known in human history at the touch of my fingertips. That's, that's incredible. I think. Yeah, so much of what you just said there rings so true in in my experience as well. And I, I love that point that you bring up about how you you just go you could literally have the access and ability right now to just go on your computer, come up with something creative or pr- provocative or innovative, right? In in terms of a, a a statement or a post or creator content of some sort on YouTube or Instagram or whatever, and be viewed or heard by more people than most of history's great rulers or, you know, whoever, uh, great voices throughout history. Uh, similarly with the idea of the, the access of data that you have in your hand, in your, uh, the form of your phone, right? You have more access to information, probably by orders of magnitude, yeah. many orders of magnitude than did most scholars throughout human history. It's like, it, like it's not even close. I, I've actually been, um, reading the book sapiens mm. over the past uh, f- uh few 
weeks now. I don't know if you've read it, but um, interestingly enough, I just got up to a chapter where he was talking about exactly that and sort of this exponential madness in terms of uh, globalism, essentially, right? Mm -hmm. And and how that trajectory kind of has gone exponential uh, more and more if that's possible. And I, I think, yeah, so much of it is is kind of what you said, like, yeah, we need to take the good with the bad with social media and kind of the inevitable globalist world that we live in. There's no escaping it, right? Mm -hmm. um, getting off the grid isn't really a thing for any, unless you live on North Sentinel Island, that, that island in the yeah, Indian yeah, Ocean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where they don't they don't allow anybody. Maybe then, um, but you can't even get there because they'll they'll try to kill you probably. Right. Um, but they're maybe the last ones, right? Um, the the exception to the rule. And I, I you know, I I think I absolutely agree. I, I it's just all happened so fast, mm. and it's continuing to change so fast. But I I agree. I I think, and I for my part, how I use social media, I absolutely love it because I use it specifically for my own advocacy work. And fortunately, in my case, there's not um, a ton of divisiveness or pushback against what I do because I do a lot of environmental right. cleanup work. And not too many people are going to really come after you about that. That's not like a political... Yeah. I, I do sometimes get into political aspects because whenever you use, whenever you start to do any form of advocacy, that's ultimately where it leads, right? Talking about right. Uh, changes in, in industry and these larger scale systemic issues that, that need to be addressed and how they affect different peoples. So I do ultimately end up tying into a lot of that. But in general, I don't deal with a, a ton of ton of pushback. But when I do, it, it like I have to stop myself and and sort of remember okay one negative comment or snidey remark on YouTube or Reddit or something like that uh, it does it it like affects you in mm. this weird sort of way and you have to kind of remember oh but look at all these <laughs> you know maybe sometimes hundreds of other people who really appreciated it and really got a lot out of it and sort of what you were saying too I think the coolest part is I've met so many people over the past maybe year or two now doing uh, beach cleaning work from all over the world. Like so many different types of people, I'll be talking to them and I'll say, wait, where are you from? And literally pretty much everywhere, Australia, uh, India, uh, Argentina, Germany, Canada, like all sorts of different people, all sorts of backgrounds. And getting those perspectives is like, it, it's almost in some ways, it's very jarring because when has... When has the average person had access to that mm. diversity of people throughout human history? Again, this is why reading this book, Sapiens, is so fascinating to me, because for most of human history, the, the most foreign type of person you would interact with was maybe the tribe next door to you. Yeah. You know, the, the, the tribe a, a few miles away. And that was you know, a, totally like a, like a alien army, to you, maybe. You know? like, a, like an army conquering. Which your, would have been totally. Yeah. yeah. Right. And people historically are not good at being good neighbors it yeah. turns out <laughs> like the more yeah. i read about and i love history and the more i read about it, like we're not good neighbors usually um and, and so but again it's it's interesting it, it, that fact that we live in a global society where like we are all neighbors now uh through this sort of virtual cyborg network 
And in general, like at least the the people that I talk to, they're typically very friendly. Like mm-hmm. they're typically, and again, it's probably the type of people who are looking for my content to large large extent. But it's kind of reassuring in some ways. Again, coming back to the positive aspects of social media, that I can talk to somebody from uh, uh, you know Chile or uh, Spain or Morocco. Uh, again, these are all places where like I'm you know kind of like internet friends with people from, and they're they're very cool people like very nice very friendly people so there is I, I for me at the end of the day sort of been that encouragement i think maybe but it's weird right i i think honestly another factor of that is i think people from other countries even canada right which is like literally our next door neighbor are much more globalist in their in their views than americans or or, or kind of maybe more um aware globally aware or, or or you know deem themselves to be global citizens more so than americans um you know, I uh, interned at the, the UN like a long time ago, and it was really interesting talking to people from all over the world. And you know, they really believed in a global society and and, and being a global citizen, right? And there's something called the um, uh, SDGs, which are the Sustainable Development Goals, right? And these are kind of pledges that all UN member states have kind of entered into together, right? To uh, by 2030 to eliminate, you know child poverty and hunger, you know, a bunch of, you know, good stuff, right? Like to, to, to create positive and change the world. And you have these people from other countries um, who, you know, really are like, you know, we want to lobby our governments to meet these SDGs, right? Um, you know, and these are average people. These aren't, you know, ambassadors, or like random people I was talking to. If you ask the average American about anything outside of, you know, America, they won't know anything. You know what I mean? Like, like, forget about SDGs. They won't even know the, the, maybe the prime minister of Canada's name, you know? <laughs> so, so, um, I, I think, yeah. uh, I think Americans also, uh, I think we have, we have a tendency to be very, uh, myopic in our, in, in our, in our viewpoints, right? And, in, in, in our kind of worldview to our detriment, right? Cause on the one hand, you have access to all information that's ever been created. And on the other hand, you're, you're putting your head into a, a sandpit and, and not, examining even what's around you so 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 there's kind of this um almost like this irony right where like you have so much but you have learned so little yeah and and america is hard to pin down because it's in some ways it's probably the most bizarre country ever i think if you just go go back through and you look at how it started like you're talking about about a bunch of essentially aristocrat slave owners yeah overthrowing British Empire rule, which at the time was quite re- remarkable, just from from that standpoint. And then you just go through the history, and you're like, this is not what most countries, <laughs> how most yeah. countries, you know, sort of develop. And and the the sort of you know, in some ways, the the diversity is is remarkable. It is amazing. And then in other ways, the sort of ignorance and bi- bigotry is is just as jarring, mm-hmm. right? Where you look how far behind America was in terms of um, eliminating, you know, getting rid of m- most of the aspects of slavery. Uh, that's still, you know, arguable Right. when you talk about like prison work and that sort of stuff. Right. right. Um, but obviously, you know, compared to a, a lot of other countries, like how behind in civil rights, right. America is in, in many ways. And like, um, it, there's just this weird American ethos over the, the, the centuries about like individualism and, and self-determinism and how that obviously works into capitalism and right. 
what that looks like, uh, you know, essentially as well thinking about like, well, it started in this very one specific area and expanded into this um, essentially global empire. I don't know how people still will argue with me that America is not an empire. I'm like, it's not only an empire. It's probably arguably the most successful, uh, you know, depending on how you define right. success, right? Uh, empire in history. Um, again, and it's uh, part of that too is is a lot of these kind of you know changes, uh, so, some of which obviously are, are technological and um, societal over over the years. But yeah, I, I I sort of agree. It's like it's it's weird when we even say like the average American is you know has their their head in the sand, and I I think that's largely true in many ways because of uh, you know sort of some of these you know kind of core identities throughout the years and it's reflected in even today where i mean i can't i could probably count for you on my my hands how many um americans i know who were born and raised here who speak multiple languages right it, like it's it's oftentimes very few and that's startling startling when you consider again like we were saying living in a globalist society and pretty much everybody i know who's from a, a another country somewhere else in the world speaks multiple languages yeah because again, like I, I thought it was really interesting what you were saying with the UN, how they have this more sort of collective uh, identity, essentially, mm. it sounds like. And I, I bet, the, I, I'm curious to know, but I would bet that those people that you talk to maybe speak multiple languages. For sure. For, I mean, yeah. I think this is also a, a system, you know, you mentioned, you know, the word capitalism, right? Um, you know, I think to you, it's, it's no, it's no shock that I, I, um, I'm a critic of the capitalist system. You know, um, I, I think you're, you're well aware of that, <laughs> uh, or my views on on that subject. You know, one thing that's that's very um, that was very jarring for my parents when they came to America, right? They're from Pakistan, and you know, so-called you know Eastern countries or country, you know, third, whatever, whatever we want to address them, right? Countries that that are not kind of the global superpowers like America. There is this collective collectivist spirit, right? Where you know um, you have a, a a larger family than just a nuclear family, right? That is, it is the community's responsibility to raise a child. You know what I mean? Um, that you know, yes, the individual has rights, but the community has rights over that individual, right? And and a lot of times, the communal rights trump individual rights, right? And I, I think I think sometimes those societies um, uh, err too far in terms of granting communal rights um, at the expense of any of um, individual autonomy. But I think here in America, we, we, we have kind of committed the, the uh, reverse sin, which is granting so much um, uh, power and kind of so much influence to the individual um, at the expense of the collective, right? And so let me give a perfect example of that, right? You know, Americans always talk about rights, right? It is my right to do this. It is my right to do that. Okay. Without thinking, and you know, there's, there's often this this very um you know famous thing, right? Like my my rights end at the tip of your nose, kind of thing. Like you know, my rights end where your rights begin, kind of thing, right? But even that's a, an individual versus individual analysis, right? Very rarely do we have a do we do we analyze like, all right, like I may have a right to do this, but how does it affect society as a whole, right? Uh, take 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 you know uh, guns for example, right? Uh, people have different perspectives on guns. I think my 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 views on guns have kind of evolved over the years as well, right? But you know, I think everyone believes in gun control at some level, right? Like you can't just go buy a, like a nuclear bomb, right? Like I think everyone kind of says, okay, that that is too far, you know. 
or a bazooka or a rocket launcher or something like that, right? Um, why? Because society's interest in not having people walking around with a bazooka is probably greater than your right to have one, you know? But it's like, okay, <laughs> at, 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 right. at what level uh, does that communal right end and your individual right begin? I think, I think in America, we, we have failed to have those conversations. And because we failed to have those conversations, we rely on courts to enforce it. And then when you have nine unelected judges who have life tenure, who decide these very, very big, intimate questions on behalf of the entire American population, right? That's, I think that stunts democratic, um, debate, right? Because if a court says, okay, you have a second amendment right to, you know, have an AR-15, well, then a, a, a legislature can't override that. And conversely, if a court says you don't have a constitutional right to have an AR-15, right? Then that also stunts that conversation, right? So I, I think, Americans have relied so much on rights, individual rights, to the detriment of uh, of understanding that we have responsibility not only to each other as individuals, but as a collective. Yeah, it's interesting you say that, uh, especially with the example of guns, because I actually, uh, maybe I, I said it last time, uh, or we've talked about it before, because I always use that example in my class when we, uh, in my writing 102 class, freshman writing seminar class, when we go over researched arguments. And oftentimes that's a pretty common topic for students who are looking for, I, I don't like using this term easy paper, but that's essentially kind okay. of what they're going for because they know it's a hot button issue with very sort of uh, entrenched sides. And you can kind of, you know, find a lot of information and perspective on both sides. And Ironically, what I I tell them when they say, "Oh, I want to write about gun control," uh, or "I want to write about banning guns," or not, you know, banning guns. I'm like, "Well, what do you mean by guns? What is a gun?" Right. And they're like, "Well, a gun is a weapon that you shoot." And I'm like, "No, no, no." But like, if you're going to argue that, where are you drawing this line exactly? Right. right. Are you drawing it at nuclear bombs? Oh, you don't think there should be any gun control? Okay, so should people be allowed to have rocket launchers and tanks and? nuclear weapons and they're like well no that's obviously crazy i'm like so you do believe in in gun control you just have a, a the, the a, line, know, a line that's maybe yeah, yeah yeah it's different exactly right and i think that's a that's a really great example where they start to realize oh this actually is not an easy paper to write <laughs> if anything this is a much harder paper to write because now you're arguing a a moral stance as a line in the sand which in you know i mean there's going to be people who agree uh, more with you and less than you and and exactly where you are but it turns out the people who agree exactly where you are are far fewer than all the other people right right? and i think that's really interesting because it it sort of helps to deconstruct the notion that you're either on this side of the issue or that side of the issue right Mm -hmm. and ironically i think uh, i i have beef with like a lot of uh news media in general because more and more, I honestly just like I'm not going to name names, but I pretty much go back and forth between a lot of major news medias, and it's almost like laughable sometimes how they're so clearly trying to like present the entrenched view on one side, uh, you know, versus the other. And I find it fascinating that like this is what's going on in in mainstream media, right. and it's at the point where like I read articles, news art, main page news articles on pretty much every major news outlet site that would not pass my writing 102 class like they they would fail because they 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 
forget about the logical fallacies that they may employ because they're using they're not defining terms clearly they're not you know what i mean like they're right. not sort of stating um the the point uh specifically enough but they'll just say things like studies have shown no links no references mm. no specific identification i'm like you can't do that in a <laughs> in like one of my my class papers you would i would i would laugh if you if you tried right. to like right. i would fail you if you tried you know you tried to get away with that on a final paper and i think like it, it worries me. It concerns me, and it's why I sort of like uh, the ability for individual content creators and organizations coming back to what we were talking about with social media, because right. you can have people who do have very genuine voices who don't have vested interest in just clickbait outrage machines, and they can actually dive into some of these issues um, in much more much more depth. And that's where more and more I get my. Um, ironically, it started with entertainment. Um, you know, whether on YouTube or Twitch and that sort of thing. But now it's like news media where there's, a you know, s smaller, uh, you know, content creators that can actually say, well, wait a minute, like this is like, if we're going to actually talk about this issue, let's actually look at the, you know, the data and the, the information and, and try to construct a, a, a meaningful dialogue moving forward to actually deal mm -hmm. with it as opposed to just kind of uh, clickbait outrage, which we know, I mean, I don't know much about it, but if, if I know anything about algorithms and how all that stuff works it's like yeah. it's predicated on the 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 outrage response click rate right right okay. so it, it's it's that that part of it is scary to me um but again i i still have hope that because so many people have access to be able to share their voice the sort of um perhaps i don't know if that's the right word to use genuine voices can kind of shine through maybe i don't know well you know i would push back on one thing you said which is that um that you know, you, you mentioned that, you know, obviously the news media has kind of the financial incentive to create clickbait, right, and create outrage pieces. Um, I would almost argue that individual content creators have sometimes even more of incentive, right? Because, you know, um, and, you know let's take the example of um, Ben Shapiro, right? Someone who, you know, I, I personally um, <laughs> have, 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 a, have a loathing for, right? Some people might like him. No, I, I, th I was going to say, yeah, yeah, I was going to say you guys are best buds. Yeah. Right? <laughs> um, you know, do I think there are um, people who are, are genuinely of a conservative uh, kind of bent and, and who, who in a good faith want to argue these points? Sure. I think Ben Shapiro isn't one of those people. Right? I, think, I, think, I think he benefits from this clickbait thing, right? And I think, well, I mean, I, you know, and I guess you can counteract what I'm saying by saying that he's almost a, a, a news medium of himself, right? Because he has you know, millions of followers and honestly probably has more of a following than... Uh, regional papers and and kind of besides the New York Times and, and Washington Post probably has a larger following than almost anyone. I, I saw on Facebook uh, an article about that said on Facebook Ben Shapiro is the number one liked um, person or so, something something like that. Like said, has the biggest following on Facebook or, or something of that sort. Um, bigger than the New York Times, yeah. Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, CNN, and so on and so forth. Right. So I guess you could consider him almost to be uh, you know uh, I don't know what we call it, like a media elite. I don't know what we call it. Right. Um, but, but yeah, you know, I, I think, you know, going back to the balancing act thing, right? I think the benefit of relying on a traditional news media, right? The New York Times, the Washington Post, is that um, I think people, the reason why, for example, you um, allowed me in my papers to cite the New York Times, Washington Post, but wouldn't allow me to cite to like, you know, uh, you know, Joe Schmo's blog on something is because the New York Times Washington right. Post is known to have kind of like, you know, uh, fact-checking and editing and, 
you know, kind of a reputation for um, of, of for generations of, of being a reputable source, you know. Um, whereas, you know, Joe Schmo's blog on the internet, right? This person doesn't have this reputation, and I might I might trust this person. Like for example, my blog, right? People might trust my opinions because, like, listen, Ayan is someone who I know personally. I know he doesn't, you know, make things up, and he's providing me links or whatever the case may be. So I trust him at a personal level, right? But um, you know, we're having this trade off again, right? Where Relying on institutions, we might have, um, we might believe that they're doing the fact checking. But what happens when you lose faith in those institutions, which is what is happening for the past several years, right? We're losing faith in our news media. We're losing faith in our in our religious institutions. We're losing faith in our governments, and for good reason, right? You have the Catholic Church, you know, engaged in 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 straight up pedophilia, right? You have news media, uh, you know, finding out that you know they're they're being you know being hacked and being you know. Some of the writers are being, you know, paid by people to write their opinions, right? And governments, you know, we've seen through four years of the Trump administration and, and frankly, through Democratic presidencies as well, right? Where, you know, things that are quote unquote illegal, but immoral and things, in fact, frankly, are illegal, but you get away with it because you're president, you know? So, so I, I mm-hmm. think when we lose faith in our institutions, that's when we have to rely on the individuals. But the thing is, what happens when the individuals, a kind of monetary or financial, desires overtakes their desire to, to produce what is actually true you know and so i think that is a very difficult issue that we're dealing with right now where we, who do we trust you know and i, I think the trust comes down to the, yeah. is, is a main issue up to that yeah I, I mean that makes so much sense as well and i think you know you got me thinking as as you were explaining that that i, I think part of the problem is the fact that it it's not clear cut one way or the other like some organizations do a much better job than others obviously right but some you know again it's it's not as if you get like a, a green check mark or like a red x uh, some some do like some news organizations i really you know i would consider trash and i would like you were saying i i wouldn't allow you to um you know cite in your papers and and others do a much better job and i think it's true with politics as well like that's a huge problem in politics where um you can find a clip basically of any politician you could possibly think of and it, it, especially without context you can say, you can yeah. then recontextualize it and say look at how terrible this person is right um and it's because we ironically we do have access to all of this which is a good thing because but you have to think about it, right? You have to consider like, well, what is the context of what they're saying here? How does that fit into all the other work that they've done? Because there are certainly things that you could say or do that kind of essentially may very well, especially if it's criminal, obviously, would negate any good work that you've done versus, well, mm-hmm. is this just you know a transgression that we can overlook or we should overlook or you've come to, uh, you know, that person has come to reconcile with? Uh, who who makes up these rules, right? Like yeah. who who decides as a as a you know obviously legally is is um is is the standardized way, but uh, collectively as a society, how do we <laughs> you know how do we sort of judge and assess all of this? And I think so much of it is people forget. I, I think that social media has really only been around uh, social media as we know it today has really only been around what maybe twelve thirteen years maybe uh, like at the start yeah. of the Ob- like maybe. right before obama maybe. probably yeah obama was the first president to yeah. actually utilize social media but honestly I, I would i would argue that social media as we know it has only really like began since 2010 i would say like i think twitter really came into his own uh, around that point um i, I think with, with the advent of um instagram and twitch 
those two things really, I think, took social media to a different, I mean, those three things, right? Twitch, Twitter, and um, Instagram really just changed the way we communicate as, yeah. as human beings. Yeah, and I think you're right in it, the idea of communicating, not just for entertainment or uh, or news, but thinking about that on a larger scale as humans is really kind of, uh, <laughs> it kind of scares me just to kind of say that or, or think that way. But yeah, it's it's certainly fascinating and it's, it's certainly uh, always changing as they say. But I, I think, you know, it's easy to say hindsight is, is 2020 or that you could you know sort of predict where things might be going but i i feel as if now less so than than ever i have no idea what the next even five years is going to mm. look like uh, like like who in the who in the world knows who's going to be president in five years right does anybody know is anybody taking bets on this is it the rock like yeah. at this point i i should probably take, <laughs> take, you know, take bets. Bets on and it's because yeah, it, it, because there's so many, you know, different influences um, and, and things happen and evolve and change so quick. I mean, look at like cryptocurrencies. Even. Right, right. Uh, nobody knew what a cryptocurrency was 10 years ago. I mean, some the people who did are now billionaires, right? right? Because they invested in, in Bitcoin and that sort of thing. So I, I think, again, this ties back into sort of what we were saying overall. I, I think about the importance of kind of training ourselves individually to think very critically i mean that's always obviously been important but i i think it it sounds cliche to say now more than ever i don't like using that phrase but i think it's true for all of the reasons that we've said because you can be bombarded by so much bad information sometimes and bad rhetoric it's so important to really uh know how to recognize those types of logical fa fallacies or, or biased um you know, thinkings and that sort of thing. And I, I mean, I guess in some ways, I, I'm I'm curious what, what you think, but it like, it, it's hard to say like history is progressing. Mm. Um, because what is what is your what, what are your metrics, right? Like, are you talking about the number of people, the quality of, of individual life, uh, you know, human rights, human rights, or which types of rights for for whom are we talking about by country? Like, how do you right. assign points to like how that progress is going? Um and and I wonder as well, getting back to to social media, like maybe they should teach this in school. Like, do mm. schools teach how to use social media and how to uh, think critically and interact on on social media? I I feel as if the models are so outdated to the realities mm. that we find ourselves living in and interacting today. Um, at at, at the certain institutional levels, um, certainly in many ways, educationally, but um, I don't know. It's it's very confusing to me. <laughs> You know, it's interesting, right? Um, you know, I think I kind of mentioned earlier how I think I like the globalist viewpoints um, from people outside of America, right? On the flip side, you know, I really like the saying, you know, uh, think global, act local, right? And I think a lot of what you mentioned before, which is like people having political effect, fatigue and not knowing who to trust. And, you know, there's this huge problems in the world. How do we address them? And who's going to be president? What's the future look like, right? And uh, you know, whenever I see your your, your garbage collection um, on the, in the beach, the trash the trash collection stuff, I'm always reminded of this saying of the Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him. He said, "If the day of judge, the end of times is approaching, right? Plant a tree." And when I first heard that when I was a kid, I'm like, "What what does that mean?" You know what I mean? Like, because in in the in in the Islamic faith, Muslims believe that like 
the day of judgment means everything's been destroyed. Like, you know, it's end, you know, like game over. You know what I mean? Uh, it's like, you know, uh, what's the, uh, what's the name? Um, what's the guy? Uh, Thanos has all the infinity stones. You know what I mean? Like it's see you later. <laughs> You're right. So what do you mean plant a tree? Why would you plant a tree when the end of times is coming? Right. And, and when I got older and I read kind of like, you know, the explanations of this and, and scholars talking about it, it was like, you know, the idea is do your part. And do your part no matter how small that is or how inconsequential that may seem. Right. Because at the end of the day, all you can do is all you can do. Right. And when I see you, you know, getting up early in the morning and in, in the winter, right. And cleaning up trash that some random person left not even thinking about it. Um, and we've, we've talked about this before yes, in both offline and, and, uh, on this, uh, last year, I believe, which is that like, you know, you cleaning up trash is not going to solve you know, climate change and, and kind of, uh, you know, make the world more, you know, whatever, right? But it does make a tangible difference, right? You've collected tons of, literal, literal tons of garbage by this point, you know? Literal tons, yeah. Yeah, li- yeah literally, literally yeah, literal tons, yeah. And you've done your part, right? And not only that, you have shown people that they can also hop in on these activities and people have joined you, Right. Not only locally, but you've mentioned you've talked to people in different countries who are engaging in these similar uh, similar um, acts and tactics. So I think for a lot of people, and I, I remind myself this first and foremost, right, is that like I often think about these large kind of you know national international issues, right? Police reform, you know, prisons, war, hunger, poverty, like these huge issues, right? That aren't uh, you know novel issues. Social media it's a novel issue for the last 10, 15 years. Right, hunger has been around mm. since humans were around. Right, war has been around. Uh, Cain and Abel, right? Like you know, in, in in the biblical tradition, right? You had murder from the first creations of man. You know what I mean? Um, and so I think, right? I think sometimes people get so caught up in these huge issues that they forget that, like, hey, you know, my neighbor's eighty five years old. You know, it's a really hot day. Let me let me make sure that they're they're okay if they have air conditioning or a fan and. You know, their, their, their lawn hasn't been trimmed. So can I help them with that? I'm, I'm, I'm a 24 year old man. I'm in my, you know, peak bodily health. Right. And that person, and I'll tell you, the area I live in has a bunch of like hardcore, far right Trump people, blue lives matter. And I'm like a socialist. You know what I mean? Like it, you know, we, we couldn't be more <laughs> diametrically like opposed. You know what I mean? Um, but some of those people are, are, are fascinating to me, right? Because they're so kind with me and they know I'm Muslim. They know, you know, whatever, right? Um, but the, the, you know, at the end of the day, we're all human, right? I think, I think when you talk to someone on a human level, no matter, you know, what your political views are, right? I think they'll see that, right? At least most people will, right? I, I think being caught up in, and, and I'm not saying don't advocate for causes and don't, you know, engage in the political, I mean, that's what I do. I mean, that's literally my job, right? But at the same time, like losing sight of the fact that like, I think humans by nature are, are a beautiful thing. Um, and I think there's inherent good in every single person, right? So I think, I think reaching for that inherent good is more productive than arguing with some troll on Facebook, right? That's not going to get you anywhere. <laughs> yeah. I, I, and everything that you, you just said, it, it, again, I said this earlier, but it's true. It does ring true. And particularly, yeah, I mean, with my social media work, the circles who are interested in that type of stuff, um, 
in some ways they are like me, but in some ways they're very different from, from, from me. I mean, obviously when you're dealing with people from around the world, yeah, you're going to get people from all sorts of, of backgrounds and, and religions and ethnicities. And, um, I, like, I can't tell you like how many different types of people I've, I've worked with, but I've, um, in terms of local beach cleanups too, like you said, I've worked with everybody who is is like me politically, socially, but I've had people in Trump 2020 hats show up to beach cleans. Right. And it's like, okay, well, if I listen to what the internet tells me, um, we should turn this into like a shame rally or something, yeah. you know? Like, um, and I don't know, maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe that is, is the answer. Maybe that's not the answer. Um, but I, I think you, you have to, you have to sort of ask like what works for you in terms of uh, productive progress. And I've always been more of the mindset that if like those people who will show up sometimes, um, in my experience teaching, it's better to sort of try to connect with people with what you do agree with. And that sort of can sometimes break down those barriers, uh, getting to, you know, eventually maybe what, with what you, you disagree with. Right. Because like you're saying, um, if I disagree with you on, you know, maybe seven different points, like pretty hard. There's oftentimes in my experience a really good chance that we agree on a hundred other things. Right. And it's hard, I think, sometimes for people to assess, well, like how large is the disagreement? Like sometimes the, some of these are sticking points that are obviously pretty bold and, and you know, there's, you know, there's going to be conflict there. But oftentimes, again, it's, I, I think, because we come from such entrenched viewpoints sometimes, we fail to almost, I, I like what you said, recognize the, the humanity in each other. And I, I think as well, sort of move uh, conversations in a more progressive way where it's like, well, we if we can actually agree on these things, maybe we can agree a little bit more on these, um, on these sort of other things. And again, I think as well, like you said, this idea of uh, think globally, act locally. That's essentially everything that I try to do with my type of, of work as well uh, through beach cleaning for that exact reason. And I, I think as well, I've noticed a, a shift. And I think that's sort of the struggle with any sort of uh, advocacy work is that it's sometimes when you're dealing with the the kind of very specific aspects of the issue, like seeing plastic pollution all around you, it's easy to, like we were saying earlier, feel overwhelmed and sort of feel as if you're not making progress. And I beach cleaned for the first few years I was beach cleaning. I didn't really post much about it on social media. I, it was just something that I was like, this is probably something good to do. It's something that needs to be done. And I, I sort of realized, um, as we were saying earlier, oh, I can reach these these audiences and very different types of audiences. Um, and I've definitely noticed a change over the past, particularly maybe two years. I mean, obviously, there's been more and more attention um, like over time. I mean, people have been advocating for environmental reform and uh, regulation and, and sustainability for many, many, many decades. But specifically with plastic pollution um, and, and the types of cleanups I do, there's been a real sort of change in awareness over the past year or two. And I think that's a manifestation of all of these local efforts and the exposure of these local efforts. And I was actually, I did a uh, an interview with uh, Ocean, somebody from Ocean Conservancy. I don't know if you've heard of them, but they, they do use, uh, I think they do the uh, Clean Swell app, which is an app that logs different types of trash. And he was telling me that from their perspective, they are essentially all about, and I agree 100%, they're all about these local efforts 
with the goal and the recognition and the awareness that the only way that we're actually going to solve this problem is at the larger systemic level of talking about and dealing with the plastics industrial complex and all the sort of horror and exploitation uh, behind behind all of that. And I think that's great. It's like they're not mutually exclusive, right? right? It's sometimes hard to to draw those connections, but uh, it, it and that's why it's it's so important to keep in mind that like yes, this is actually helping locally. Like you, you'll see, you know, fewer seagulls or turtles maybe tangled in fishing line and that sort of thing. But it's uh, with the the sort of larger scale goals in mind, um, which again is just sort of it's sort of hard to uh, uh, you know. I, I think that's hard hard but that's what i found has been hardest to express in 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 some ways for lack of a better term teach maybe over time but i think it's important i think also i think um you know i and i think you have have engaged in both um electoral advocacy as well as issue-based advocacy right the difference of course being electoral advocacy let's say you know um you know, let's say the 2020 election, for example, right? Electoral advocacy would be, hey, I'm knocking on doors for free to vote for Joe Biden. Someone might do it for Trump, so on and so forth, right? Uh, issue-based advocacy being like, all right, like, uh, we want to, you know, uh, decrease the plastic um, waste in, you know, um, I don't know, Jones Beach by 30% in the next five years or whatever, right? Or... Um, we want to, uh, I don't know, create a kind of communal lot where children can learn farming techniques in somewhere on Long Island. You know, whatever, right? Like, whatever the issue that is. Yeah. I think electoral advocacy is important, right? Because I think for the systemic issues you're talking about, right? Uh, you know, those uh, are best solved um, at scale, right? So, for example, health insurance, right? Like, you know, if someone's a doctor, they can go see someone for free and that might help that one person, right? But you you need people to be insured. Right? That's, that's like a national issue, right? And you you need to then advocate for people who think at the same viewpoint that you do to be elected into office. Um, but, you know, the issue is, you know, knocking on doors and asking people to vote for a certain candidate, right? This person doesn't know you. This person might not even know the candidate, you know? So, and, and ask someone to vote for someone is a very kind of personal thing, right? So that's the reason why it's inappropriate to ask. Like, I, it's inappropriate for me to ask you, Professor Labriola, you know, who are you going to vote for in this election, right? Unless you're forthcoming with the information. Um, so, and I think that breeds, breeds animosity sometimes, right? Because I knock on someone's door, they're a Republican, I say vote for the Democrat, we're already disagreeing. We're already not reaching any kind of impasse. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, and that might also be the case for issue-based advocacy, right? Let's say I'm knocking on doors and saying, you know, we need to, uh, you know, decrease police misconduct in, in Nassau County, for example, or Suffolk County. Um, you know, if someone, uh, kind of comes from a kind of far right background, they might be turned off by that. Right. But I think issue based advocacy as a whole has a better chance of reaching kind of quote unquote across the aisle or for people who may disagree on a bunch of other issues that like you mentioned, right? To find that one issue they do agree on. And that can bring, you know, me and my Trump supporting neighbor together. If we talk about, oh, we want to, you know, decrease noise pollution because it, it, it hurts, um, you know, the elderly and children, right? And then after we've built that relationship over five months, you know, a year, two years, now when we're discussing, hey, listen, man, I saw you posted that you love Trump. Can I let you know why that, that, that really hurts me? Because he wanted to, you know, he created this Muslim ban and I'm Muslim and like, you know, and the person says, you know, you know, you know, you know what I'm saying? So, so you have that mutual understanding at that point. And you might still disagree. You might still disagree vociferously, 
but the seeds have been planted for that tree. And, and you know, maybe it sprouts, maybe it doesn't, but you've done your work. So that's, that's a very convoluted way of saying, yeah, it was sort of like, you know, uh, find areas you, you agree on first before you go into the disagree um, aisle. And and the problem with the problem with that is that it takes time. Mm-hmm. It, it takes it obviously takes time and effort. Um, and uh, again, like a tweet is not conducive to that, right? Because you you're only giving, characters, you know, two hundred characters <laughs> yeah. or whatever. Yeah, it's like how are you supposed to make that? Con- which is why I think more and more there's this premium on actual um, interaction. You know, actual. Uh, I, I think that's why podcasts are so popular, largely mm-hmm. uh, such as ours here at Professor Labs Podcast. Like, share, and subscribe. Um, because <laughs> because selfless, shameless plug. That, that's great, um, man. That's great. <laughs> right? You got to slip them in, you know? Um, but I, I, I do think it's... And I, I in general, longer-form podcasts are, are particularly popular, right. which is weird. That's very counterintuitive to clickbait, to reels on, on TikTok and Instagram, to the 200 and whatever 80-character tweets or whatever... Um, but I think it's it speaks to this sort of an innate human sense that we have where we we actually do ironically as as sort of like consumer based and and uh, uh, vociferous that we are to consume more and more faster and faster in in smaller you know bites at the same time there is kind of this innate core um I, I guess um not value but uh, sort of desire for these kind of like deeper conversations and, and right. more meaningful uh, re- reflections, which again is in in its own way encouraging. And yeah, I, I think as, as well, that's really what I try to emphasize with, with that type of work too. And I think that's why people are uh, typically drawn to it. That's why they're interested in it of all different affiliations. It's for those exact reasons. Cause they're like, Oh, this is a problem that we can all agree upon. Like nobody and that's why I have these people who show up. Like nobody of any political affiliation that I've met is arguing that plastic pollution is good. Right, like right. No, it just, the, I haven't seen the opinion yet. Um, you can argue how much that it is a problem. Um, how it should be solved. That's yeah. sort of ironically. Well, ironically, that's that's something that we need to finally figure out with climate change because right, right. ironically, I, it, still to this, a perfect example, still to this day, I have people who will beach clean with me, but don't believe in climate change. And I I understand why people get frustrated with other advocacy work because I'm sort of like, uh, so just because you can't see it means it's not there, you know? And that's a big problem with advocacy work right. of, of various sorts. And I'm like, but do you, do you see the irony here? How like right. you're recognizing this because you can see it, but there's all this other data for this other issue that you're just choosing to um, ignore or maybe it hasn't been presented to you, right? Uh, like I, it's, I understand how it's easy to get frustrated and say like, what's the matter with you? What are you, an idiot? You know, it's the uh, New York vibe in me, right, I, right, right, I, right, I guess. Right. But, um, so I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I again, I am, that, this is why I love teaching too and I love, you know, talking with and working with students and I will say actually, because I think we've gone uh, almost a full hour now, which is wild, um, that I'm excited to get this episode out because the first episode that we had done, um, I have had over the past couple semesters now, many students who want to come on the podcast Mm. (laughs) themselves as former students and talk about, you know, sort of their experiences with, again, not just writing and writing skills, but 
um, rhetoric and critical thinking and, and different types of professional, but also personal development and advocacy work of their own. There's so many fascinating extensions within different fields, whether it's economics or different STEM fields. And uh, again, it's it's really interesting and inspiring to hear. So I have to thank you again for that uh, previous episode as, as well for as sure. for, uh, for this one. But uh, yeah, I, I, just to, you know, as we uh, wind down here, if you have uh, any, you know, final thoughts or reflections or, or hopes or dreams, uh, I, would, I would love to <laughs> discuss anything further. You know, one thing I, I think um, as kind of I've gotten a little bit older, right, and kind of, you know, experience a little bit, obviously, you know, I have a lot to learn, um, is kind of the point we've talked about over and over again, right, which is that I think people are in, in, innately good. I think that people have goodness inside of them um, and that we're all more than the worst thing we've ever done. Um, and, and Brian Stevenson, he's a very famous, you know, civil rights lawyer, um, represents people on, on death row, you know, was, was played by Michael B. Jordan in the movie called Just Mercy. He spoke at our, our law school commencement ceremony last week. And he often talks about how, like, you know, are there people he represents on, on death row who he believes are innocent? Yes. And of course, we should not kill someone who is innocent, right? At the same time, he says, we shouldn't kill anyone in general. Because even if this person has committed this heinous offense, right, that like really like shocks our sensibilities, um, people are more than the worst thing they've ever done. And people have the ability to improve and to repent and to make amends for it, right? Um, and, and that has always stuck with me, right? Because if people cannot improve, if people cannot make amends for their wrongdoing, you know, if people cannot, and you know, I'm not saying don't be accountable. I'm saying, of course, accountability should be there. But if, if, if we don't allow for that, right, then what's the point? How, how, who, who am I? You know, they say you don't throw stones from glass buildings or something like that, right? Glass walls or something, something of that sort, right? Who am I mm-hmm. to say that Professor Labriola, you have done this or said this and you should be, um, you know, just thrown off a cliff, you know, essentially, right? Like you should just, you know, evaporate from our, of our consciousness, right? Um, and, and so one thing I kind of always remind myself and, and, uh, I, I would hope to remind anyone who's listened to this is, you know, in an age where we have documentation of everything, right? Tweets and Facebook posts and Instagram posts and emails and texts or whatever, right? Um, people are going to say the wrong thing. People are going to do the wrong thing, right? And we should hold them accountable. I'm not saying not to do that. But extend to them the same grace that you'd want to be extended or be shown to you. Um, and, and realize that who someone was a year ago or five years ago or 10 years ago or as a child, you know, maybe isn't the person they are right now. Um, and, and, you know, if we can reach inside even the most corrupted person and find the innate goodness in them, I think, uh, or at least give the effort and try to, I think that will create a society in which we, 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 focus less on someone's faults and more so how, you know, we as, as a community have failed them. Right. I think that's going back to the collectivist versus individual mindset. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, why, what is crime? Why does crime happen? Well, so much of crime is, uh, we think of crime as property, you know? And I, I think, you know, when we castigate someone for stealing a loaf of bread to feed their family, you know, they should be, they should be reprimanding us because we as a society have failed them. Um, to, to be able to meet their basic needs. So, I mean, you know, it's kind of a very philosophical party note, but, but I, I do think, you know, the redemption arc is um, important. I think that's why such an important part of the faith traditions as well. 
Wow. Yeah. I mean, we we could uh, do a whole other episode on all that because that there's so much there that's really fascinating to me. But uh, we're going to have to end now because you've you've said that people can change, and that's unacceptable for this podcast. <laughs> so we're going to have to uh, <laughs> you're, you're we're going to have to cancel you. You canceled. <laughs> <laughs> it's only a matter of time, I'm sure. But. Um, <laughs> but uh yeah, you know i i i uh agree a hundred percent um in particular with the fact that that conversation alone is is there's so much more to unpack there right. um so maybe we'll have to talk about that more in a in a future episode um, sure. but this has been fantastic as as always uh there's a reason why you're my uh my first guest after uh coming back from the hiatus and i uh cannot express how much i appreciate you uh joining us here today. So thank you again. I appreciate the professor and, and thank you so much. Yeah, always a pleasure. And uh, thank you guys for listening, whoever you may be, wherever you may be. Some of you students, I'm sure, but some of you just fans too. And uh, if you like this, subscribe wherever you're listening to this, like, share, all that good stuff that social media hacks say. And uh, hopefully you do enjoy though. So until next time, as I always say, uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us here today. And as always, Keep learning.